We're in 1 Peter chapter 1. We're getting down to the end of the chapter finally. There's still a few more chapters to go, but uh, we're going to be in 1 Peter for a bit anyways. But we've been looking at this uh, section of Scripture now for some time. And um, last, well, last week was Mother's Day. The week before that, uh, Pastor Gary Gardner was here. So it's been a few weeks since we've been in here, but to bring you up to speed a little bit, um, we talked about being holy. That's in verses 13 to 16, about fearing God. All right, that was our last message, and that was in verses 17 to 21. And then today we're going to look at this text and, and look at loving one another and looking at the topic too of what really endures you know what is lasting and so that's where we're going to go with this uh, this morning uh, lord willing here beginning in verse 22 it says this first peter chapter one since you have purified your souls in obedience or in, be, in, in obeying the truth through the spirit in sincere love of the brethren love one another fervently with a pure heart Having been born again, not of corruptible seed, but incorruptible, through the word of God, which lives and abides forever. Because all flesh is as grass, and all the glory of man as the flower of the grass. And the grass withers, and its flower falls away. But the word of the Lord endures forever. Now this is the word which by the gospel was preached to you. Let's pray again. Father, we are so grateful we have the Word of God. We're thankful that we have it in our own language and that today, here in this place, we can open it up. I pray, Lord, as it goes forth, that, Lord, you would bless your Word today, not only here, but anywhere it's being preached faithfully. I pray, O God, that you'd use it. You'd use it where people maybe would pick it up, taking a copy of the Bible somewhere, maybe in a hotel room or a Bible somebody has given them or something that, Lord, they, they are just looking at right now and maybe have never read it. And I pray even today many would come to saving faith in Christ. And, Lord, that you would be glorified in all this, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to look at this a little bit. I, I don't know for sure uh, how what direction I'm going here fully with the message. I know that's a little scary, but I will hopefully land near time and all that. But I was going over this message this morning and yesterday and through the week a little bit. And as I was looking at it, I'm like, wow, you can go this direction with it and that direction. And there's so many deep themes that are found right here in this text. Uh, Obviously, where Peter instructs to love one another, uh, that is the product of a Christian who is right with the Lord being living a holy life, but also one who understands his place with God and who God is, a reverence for God, but also uh, how that should out, you know, show itself with one another. And then also uh, the fact that all of this is because we have the revelation of God, the word of God, and that abides forever. Everything else in this world, in this whole creation is at this moment fading away, except a couple things. Uh, more than a couple things, but God, for sure, all right, He doesn't change. He changes not. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. That's what the Bible says of Jesus Christ. But uh, we know that, but we, we know the creation itself is fading. 
Uh, things get old and decrepit and fall down and all that stuff. We talked about our playground out here. It was in sad shape last year, but we had it repaired enough. And then this year we had a lot of snow and man, that thing just broke in a few places and all that. And we got to do some renovations before the kids can get back out there and enjoy it for the two or three weeks that we have summer here. Uh, but, uh, you know, we'll do that. But, but that's the story of life, isn't it? Uh, and it's also the story of all flesh. And that's what Peter reminds us here is that, is that all flesh is like the flowers of the field, the grass. It, it withers and it dies, all right? It might look good right now and everything's getting green and the leaves are coming forth. But I'll make us a prediction. I don't often make predictions, but make a prediction that uh, in a few months, those leaves will be falling off the trees. And the grass won't need to be mowed anymore, and you'll be back to you know servicing the snowblower and getting the snow blow you know the snow out of the uh, out of the driveway. And if you aren't doing it, someone else will be. Okay, uh, that's the nature of the seasons that we're in, and and we're reminded that all things fade. And if you have your hopes and trusts and glory resting in man, it is is a sad thing. It really is. In my um, study at home, I. I have a poster, and uh, right now it's not hanging on my wall. Actually, I, I usually have it hung up, and I, I need to hang it back up. But I was thinking of that today, and, and I, I may have shown you a picture like this before because it's one of my favorite pictures. I don't have the actual print. That costs a lot of money, so I bought a poster, all right? And no one else knows that, but I, I do, you know? And it's a picture of the Battle of Gettysburg, or a little scene from the Battle of Gettysburg uh, that occurred there in 1863 in Gettysburg, Pennsylvania. And particularly, it's the scene, uh, as Mort Kunstler, the artist, you know, paints it anyways, of the picture of Joshua Chamberlain's charge, often known, you know, known as Chamberlain's charge. And, and I won't go into the great details of that, but I, I think of all the military history I've studied and all the different tactics and things like that, I come back to Chamberlain's charge as one of the great military feats in history and one that really changed our nation. It really, our whole nation pivoted on that moment in the Battle of Gettysburg. You say, where do you get that from? Well, most historians will tell you that in our nation's history, uh, the Civil War, of course, being a, a huge uh, thing that took place that shaped our nation as it is today, for good and for bad or whatever. But during that war, uh, the Battle of Gettysburg is often called the pivotal battle of the Civil War. Within the Battle of Gettysburg, there were many, many things that took place and engagements that took place over those three days in July of 1863. But the pivotal victory, you would say, for the uh, Union, which uh, w goes back to the 20th Maine Regiment, led by Colonel Joshua Chamberlain, and depicted, uh, uh, you may have seen the, the Gettysburg movie years ago and depicted in that, but it is often uh, talked about as the one that really saved the Union. Because the 20th Maine was, they came into the uh, battle array uh, late in the afternoon of, uh, the, uh, of that July day, or they were in place late by the time that all took place. And they were put on the far left flank of the Union uh, line, which would have been way over here. If you were on the southern side of things, you would have been seeing it from that perspective. Far eastern side of uh, the line at Gettysburg that stretched almost three miles. And the 
south and the southern forces recognized that that was a vulnerable place because if you could get in and outflank your enemy, come around the sides and get in behind them, you can capture their supply lines, cut them off, and they, they have to surrender or die in battle. And Chamberlain knew that. His regiment was already under strength. The 20th Maine was uh, at about, I think, around 80% of its numbers and strength, and they had just marched a long day. And they came up against the 16th Alabama Regiment. They also had marched a long day. I think it was around 24 miles in one day that they marched, and most of them hadn't had one drink of water during the whole day. You can imagine that. In July in Pennsylvania in wool uniforms. Oof. And that's how these men faced off each other. And the battle went back and forth as they charged up, the 16th Alabama charged up a little round top where Chamberlain's men were, and they held the line, they held the line and pushed the, the Alabama regiment back, and then uh, they, they, the main regiment ran low on ammunition, and they got down to a point where they had no ammunition in reserve or any other than just a few rounds left. And Chamberlain did something that was, you know, really, as many people would paint it, very heroic, <laughs> And it was sort of a, a last-ditch effort. He ordered his men to fix bayonets and charge. And he charged down the hill. And actually, we kind of think it was a long charge. The 16th Alabama were only, some of their men were only about 30 yards away. All right? That's not very far. All right? And they were coming up, and they were soon to be overrun. And the men ran out. They charged. They captured most of the 16th Alabama men. Uh, without even firing a shot and the union line stood and then the battle continued throughout that next day day and a half and it, going back Chamberlain was credited was the man who probably saved the union all right now there were many other heroic feats and and but you know he's an interesting character he came back to Maine he was made famous for his heroism he actually was the general uh, or he was given the opportunity to receive the surrender of the south at Appomattox Courthouse he was a very uh, special man even during the Civil War given that by the way he had been a school teacher prior to uh, being given a commission and leading men so he, he didn't come from West Point or anything like that anyways Chamberlain went came back to Maine he was president of Bowdoin College for a while he became governor of the state of Maine elected in multiple terms uh, very well uh, liked man he was a man that um, actually died in, uh, he died in 1914, having succumbed finally to a wound that had, uh, he had received in the Civil War, an open wound that had never healed correctly, and it continued to plague him throughout his whole life. He's known as the last uh, soldier to die of his wounds from the Civil War, anyways, and uh, that was in 1914, so many years later, and he lived to be uh, 85. Um, Chamberlain, though, I like one of the, my favorite quotes of, it is my favorite quote of Chamberlain, and I, I don't necessarily get all my theology from him and all that, but he was a Christian man. And he said this, nearing the end of his life, he says, I know in whom all my highest hopes and dearest joys are centered. I know in whom my whole heart can rest so sweetly and so surely. And take a guess who he's talking about there. He's talking about Christ, isn't he? And that's exactly who he was talking about there. He's talking about Christ. In all the accomplishments and feats and, and pieces of history that that man played in and all that, he would go back to his faith, which he rested in. And he leaves that. And I would like to remember Joshua Chamberlain as a man of faith more than a man of war. And 
but a man that was a great man nonetheless. We go back to our text here this morning because I want to look at this and I want to examine it a little bit because everything is fading. It's fun to talk about, you know, I say fun, but, you know, I always find it interesting to talk about, you know, victories of the past and, and uh, history and those kind of things. But history is always changing and it fades away. And probably today, if you ask the average person, have you ever heard of Little Round Top or ever heard of Joshua Chamberlain? They'd say, no, nah, I don't think he's on my Facebook page. I don't know him, you know. And, and we, we're like that. We, we forget in a generation sometimes. We forget people, even important figures. But the word of the Lord does not forget. And neither does the word of the Lord fade away. We might think that. Sometimes we think we're in a society today that is, uh, you know, it's, it's almost post-Christian in many ways. I don't think the United States and Canada are there yet, but they are close, okay? Uh, it just takes one generation to say, I, I'm going to close this book, put it away, don't want to hear from it. But can I let you in on a little open secret that it still is going to endure, whether or not countries endure or people endure or generations endure the word of God continues. But it begins with an interesting statement here. And Peter says, since you have purified your souls in obeying the truth. Now, that is a kind of a, he's building on the previous argument about, or should say the statement of being holy, right? Quoting from Leviticus there, be holy for I am holy, referring to the Lord. Because we live holy lives, there is a, there should be a product of love that is the outflow of our lives when we're right with God and right with people. And he says, in your souls in obeying the truth through the Spirit in sincere love of the brethren. And I'm going to stop there because the sentence continues, as you can see, but I want to break it up a little bit. First of things I want to note is that Peter looked at the truth of God as something that you can obey, and what is implied there is something you can disobey. Now, he's talking here specifically to Christians. We know that from verse 1. They're the ones that are scattered abroad. And that tells me this, that Christians can disobey the word of God. They can disobey the truth. So can unbelievers. The word of God can come to us and be presented. He talks about the gospel later on in this. We're going to talk about the gospel. Try to do that every Sunday to make sure you know it. And that, you know, you understand what it is. And that's the truth of God's word or his, his revelation that he's given to us. And it's all centered in a person. The person of Jesus Christ. And it's possible to obey and it's possible to disobey. We've gone down through several verses just in 1 Peter already. And we've seen many pieces of instruction where we ought to live a certain way or do certain things. And at that moment you have a choice. Am I going to obey my own flesh? Which by the way is fading away. I hate to tell you that. Um, I had someone tell me today, you know, we do a live stream here and Sam closed the camera in a little bit. So because a few people's heads were showing just barely one guy, I won't let you know who he is, but it said that, can you put hair on that head? You know, <clears throat> right, Joe? I mean, sorry. I, yeah. Uh, but uh, and I, I wasn't sure if he was talking about my head or the, the, his head. But anyways, you know what I mean? The, the grass is withered in this case. OK, it's fallen away. And uh, we know that. But, but So we've tightened that a little bit, so you won't, you're not on the live stream, or your head isn't anyways on the back of it. But I, I will say this, that uh, if you put your trust in, in man, um, you know, that's where it's going to end up, right? And we know that. But we have a choice to obey the truth or not obey the truth. 
Sometimes Christians go through life clinging to lots of things that aren't going to mean anything in a hundred years from now. I mean, really, in this room, as I look around, there are a few really young people. You might make it for another hundred years, but most of us, if statistics continue to bear out the way they are, we aren't going to be here in a hundred years, okay? We are going to be somewhere else. And that question is out on the table. Where will you be? Is your hope in Christ and salvation that's found in Him, or is it fixed upon something that's fading away? Since you have obeyed or have, excuse me, purified your souls. Now, one of the things about that word purified it means to cleanse, all right? And that is the process in which the Word of God, by the way, cleanses our souls. You know that? It begins with salvation declared in the, in the sense that when you get into the Word of God, one of the things that makes me extremely uncomfortable about reading the Bible is that it reflects my own soul and my own heart condition, my own life. And that's not always comfortable. The, the Bible says that of itself the, that God's Word is a, a lamp, right, onto our feet, a light onto our path. And just like light shining in darkness reveals things that can't be seen, so the Word of God reveals to us what normally can't be seen or sometimes we just don't want to look at. And the Word of God reveals to us that we're sinners. And that we not only uh, practice sin and certain sins, but we're really filled with sin and we're tainted by sin and, and our whole life is touched by it. And the Bible declares to us, that a holy, righteous God cannot tolerate sin. He cannot have it in His presence. It's not because God is weak and sin is the kind of kryptonite or something like that that Superman can't hold or be near. That isn't it. But God in His holiness has nothing to do with sin. Therefore, sinners and people who practice sin, that's what a sinner is, and I'm a sinner, you know what? They cannot be in His presence. The Bible says that we were estranged from God. We actually, we were enmities with God. That means we were His enemy. And as I think of that, that's how I'm born in this world. That's how I operate in this world, in my flesh. But the Lord Jesus came to us. That's, that's the truth of the Word of God. He came to our realm. He put on flesh. He dwelt among us. And in Christ, He offered salvation. He was the sinless Son of God. Came to die for you and die for me in our place. Because the Bible declares that the soul that sinneth must die. All right? Not just physical death. That's one reason why we're unraveling, okay? And why things are fading. Because we live in a cursed earth and a cursed body. But also that we would be eternally separated from God. Just like physical death separates us from loved ones, eternal death refers to the judgment of a sinner being cast away from the presence of God to be cast into the lake of fire. And you know what? There's an eternal separation. That's an awful thing. The second death is, is far worse than the first death. The second death is forever. That's a bad, a bad thing. But you know, the good news is that God came. He gave us His truth. said, if you'll just trust my Son, if you'll believe on Him, that your sins will be paid for. They're done. They're, they're removed. You can be cleansed. And that's where the text says, having purified your souls. We start with trusting 
and believing on Jesus Christ. By the way, you can't purify your soul apart from Him. It's sort of like trying to go out there and wash yourself in a mud puddle. That's what good works are like, you know? Sitting in a mud puddle, mud all around you, picking up a glob of mud, scrubbing a little bit and saying, oh, there, I'm clean. No, you're not. Well, I'll try it again. I'll do it a little bit differently this time. Maybe I'll do it. And we do that with our good works. Religion does that. It says, if you just do some good things, you'll, you'll be cleaned up. It doesn't do anything but add more mud on you. That's all it does. The only way to purify your soul is to go to the one who was pure, the one who is holy, and the one who can save us from our sins, and go to him. And by faith, that's just trusting him, turning from our sin and turning to him. He's promised to take our sin and to remove it and purify us. If you're a Christian and you're sitting here today, you know what? You're as purified positionally as you'll ever be. You say, well, I don't know. I don't have a very pure heart and mind, and I haven't done some, all the things I should do. That's your practice now. But someday, in the presence of God, the old nature is totally eradicated. And you know what? You won't have the sin issues anymore. But positionally, as you stand before the Lord even today, or sit before Him as you're seated here, you're purified. You say, well, how is that so? Because Jesus took your place, and it's by the blood of the spotless Lamb. And Peter's already talked about in this chapter that we, our sin is removed, and God doesn't look on our sin anymore. He looks on the finished work of Christ at the cross, died for me and for you. And when Jesus said it was finished, He meant it was finished, that the sin was paid for. Oh, I'm thankful for that. He says this, and and this is where this is going. It's through the Spirit and sincere love of the brethren. By the way, the truth of the Word of God is discerned only through the Spirit of God. You can intellectually pick up this book, I suppose, the Bible, and you could go through it and you could break down every word and every phrase and you could look at it and it's and it's the way it's ordered and how it's ordered and all those different things and come away from it and not be changed one bit people do it all the time the bible says this that the natural man cannot receive the things of the spirit of god neither can he know them right because they're spiritually discerned all right you have to have the holy spirit to come and illuminate his word to you and to show us Jesus Christ. That's what his ministry primarily is. To hold, well, he reproves of sin. There's many different things he does, but he reproves of sin, holds back sin, restrains, but he also illuminates. He shows the truth of the Word of God. And when the Spirit of God begins to knock on your heart door and say, you need to trust Christ, you need to turn from your sin and trust Him, you have a choice to obey or disobey. It's a dangerous thing to say no. Because God will not always strive with man. And neither will you always be here having that struggle. Someday the old heart's going to stop. The breathing's going to stop. And somebody's going to stand over your grave and shed a few tears and, and, and whatever. Bury you. And that's not trying to be cold towards death. That's a reality. And we need a reality check every now and again, don't we? Wow. The truth of the Word of God, and first of all, starting with conversion and then obeying it as well to clean up our practice as well, that's dependent upon us and and the work of the Spirit of God as He reveals it to us. We are to walk holy and be holy. That's now. And to live that way. That's putting away sin 
and putting away the former things that we were involved in. All of those things. That's why he says, through the Spirit, in sincere love of the brethren. We should have a sincere love one to another. The word sincere, it's uh, the word basically unhypocritical. Okay? If you say somebody's a hypocrite, that says that they are... um, they show one thing or act out one thing, but they actually are in their heart not believing it, not doing it. We think of uh, that, you know, when we call somebody a hypocrite. They say one thing and they aren't. Our love should always be sincere. And that means that when someone gets really close to us, they should see the same person as the, the guy that shakes your hand or the woman that shakes your hand on Sunday morning and your Christians, they should see that, a love for one another that's sincere. That sometimes calls us up short, because we're not always that loving, are we? And sometimes we can be a little bit prickly. I think it's good to stop and take a reflection of that and say, Lord, stir me up and help me to love people. There's many different ways that we can see that done, that's for sure. He says, love one another fervently with a pure heart. There it is again. And we're to love fervently. The word for fervently there means to to bubble over, to boil over, like you think of a pot of water that boils over. That's how our love should be. It should be one that says, you know, how I just am excited to be around God's people, the brethren. And that's what it's referring to there. It doesn't mean you always have to like everybody, you know, perfectly. All right. We will. Uh, do that but our love should abound and it should not ever be considered a waste to love the brethren sometimes we think man there's such sacrifice in that to do that i just want to have more you know for me and there's a lot of decisions that will be made today in our world and have been made by people who say i just want to go out and be selfish they may not say that to themselves but that's what their actions show For the Christian, that isn't on the table to be selfish. And again, it's with a pure heart. I don't think you can truly love people without a pure heart. That doesn't mean, again, that you'll absolutely, totally be sinless all the time. But you know what? When we're driven by our own lusts and desires and impure things, and that's really idolatry because we put it before God. And in doing that, we put it really before others also. And I think of it in the context of a marriage relationship. Marriage is pictured in Scripture as uh, not only sacred, it was what God instituted in the garden. And if you think about Adam and Eve left the garden, they owned only two things with them when they left. They had the skins that God had clothed them with, a picture of redemption, and they had their marriage. Those two things. And way back there at the beginning, God made marriage a very important institution because in marriage is a picture of the gospel, a union. You see that in Ephesians chapter 5. Paul clearly explains it as that. He says, uh, Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her. He uses the imagery of the church and Christ and the relationship that we have like a marriage. And he gave his life for us. He loves us unconditionally. He loves us eternally. He loves us fervently. All those things are seen in that. And you know, when it comes to a marriage, uh, it's not always fervent love, you know? Sometimes one is cold to the other. Sometimes both are cold. Sometimes they say, this isn't worth it. 
All those things are realities, and this is what happens sometimes. But you know what? Uh, if you have something impure that comes in, one or the other, or both in a marriage, it's very hard to love that person. And it's very hard to, for you to reciprocate that if you have something that you deem more important in your life than your spouse. And I think we're living in an age where lots of impurity has come into the home. And in doing so, because of that impurity, people are sacrificing their marriages, they're sacrificing their children. They're saying, just go out. I want to I wanna be, you know, I want to be for myself. Let's be selfish. And that's what a lot of selfishness goes on. Anyways, I'm not trying to beat up people. I don't know your homes perfectly or anything like that. But I just know my own heart. And I know sometimes it gets cold and I have to go to God and say, stir me up, Lord, and let my love boil over for other people. Not a very good pastor if you don't love people, you know. And it's easy sometimes to fall into the routine of things in that way. We've got to love one another. Well, he says, having been born again, not of corruptible seed, but incorruptible. There's that word again, born again. A living hope earlier, uh, begotten uh, again onto a living hope. That's in the opening set verses there. And when Paul talks about that, he's talking about that new birth that takes place. The great thing about being uh, saved and being born again, that's the Bible term that's used there. That's when you place your faith in Christ. He promises to, to make us born again. You get more than a second chance. You get all the chances. <laughs> And you're brought into a different family. The first family failed. I hate to say it. I think I have a good mom and dad, but they're not good enough to get me to heaven. They were good enough to teach me ways to sin sometimes and to pass on that sin nature. But And they did a lot of other good things, I would say, but this, they, they, did not, they were not able to save me. I had to be born again to be saved. And so do you. you have to, you're not born as a Christian physically into the flesh. The flesh and the, the birth, your first birth, was, in, was corruptible. <laughs> and that's why, you know, I have my little grandson. He's awful cute right now. But, you know, as he gets growing older and older, someday he's not going to be so cute anymore. Not as cute as he is now. I, I have a hard time believing that. But that's the reality. Why? Because I've seen it happen elsewhere. All right? And I, I just say this. We are in corruptible bodies. We inherited that from our families okay the sin nature all those things but the word of god and the new birth is incorruptible you see in god's family if you're in him you'll see you will never have the second death someday this old body will be put off and a new one will be given in the resurrection and we will be in it with the lord forever in heaven with no sin no pain no suffering no bad memories no bad evil things ever to happen will be there that's incorruptible seed and he he names it he says through the word of god which lives and abides forever here he personifies the word of god which really is centered in the person of christ so it's interesting that that's exactly what john uses as a term for christ himself in his opening remarks of john's gospel where he says and the word became flesh and he dwelt among us God revealed Himself to us through words. Everything you can know about God is found in this book. Everything, at least, that is important. 
Now, we know that you could not write a book about all the things about God. John says of that, the world itself could not contain it. But all the things we need to know about us, about this life, about eternal life, found right in this book. Everything we need to know right now about God and who He is and what He's like, we can find it in this book. You say, well, how do you know that? Because He gave us words. And because of that, we can be born again, not with corruptible seed, but incorruptible. That's the kind of seed that really is good, isn't it? And that leads us to this idea of what I call faded glory. Because if you trust in man and trust in man's ways, well, you you come up short, don't you? Because all flesh is as grass and all the glory of men as the flower of the grass and the grass withers and its flower falls away. I I think of that because... um, when I was growing up, we would have, uh, you know, like Thanksgiving meal, for example, or Christmas dinner, or those kinds of times where relatives would come and friends would come, and they would sit at our dinner table. And as I look around at that dinner table now, a lot of those people aren't there; they're gone. My grandparents—I have one grandmother still alive. Uh, I have, uh, but my my neighbors used to come for Thanksgiving and dear neighbors that we grew up with and they they always looked old to me but they were you know not as old some of them were when i first met them they were my age you know we always think by the way old age is 15 years ahead of us okay and whether you're 85 or you're 10 you know we always think that it's just a few years ahead of us but but the reality is that we're fading and those people aren't around our dinner table anymore don't put your trust in them either Good people, great people to know, love them dearly. But you know what? Know Christ, because He's the only one that lives and endures forever. And if you're with Him and in His family, you'll be with Him forever. I had some pictures. You ever get those on the internet? You know, they have an ad, what celebrities look like now, you know, and they'll show somebody in their prime and then somebody that's 30, 40 years on, and you go, wow, that changed, you know. Well, I, I called up some familiar faces, and here's one. Does anybody recognize that guy? Take a guess. You'll know it next one. Dwight Eisenhower. Roger, great. That was our president, Dwight Eisenhower. I don't remember him. He was before my time. Some of you remember Dwight Eisenhower. You know, Dwight Eisenhower lived to, lived to be 91. Big difference between young Dwight Eisenhower as a West Point cadet, cadet, cadet and a uh, uh, president, and then later on, um, in that here's one another uh, another one who's that uh oh there we go I didn't do the jowl thing but anyways all right uh, President Nixon right big difference from his young years playing football and then being president after even when he retired years on how about this one came after Nixon Ford, Ford. there he is Gerald Ford there wow and then Gerald Ford. By the way, all those men have been buried and aren't any longer. But in their prime, they were really something. How about this guy? Familiar face? Reagan. Reagan. There we go. <clears throat> and then Ronald Reagan years on. And even Reagan with gray hair. And uh, I read a quote the other day saying that presidents uh, come out of the White House with lots of gray hair. And the stress of that job. And of course, you might recognize that guy too. Right? Yeah, Donald Trump. But, but even Trump's glory has faded somewhat. So just don't tell him that. But anyways, you know. But, but uh, listen, we're all fading. And I had this picture here 
from Ronald Reagan's funeral when he was being laid to rest, or his body was being laid to rest, and there's several former presidents there um, in the background. You might not see them, but uh, some of them uh, are no longer with us. Uh, but I'll tell you this, that's a reminder to each and every one of us. I don't care if you are a president or you're someone who nobody will ever know your name apart from maybe just an immediate family kind of thing. You know what? Our glory is fading. And the grass is withering. And we need to be right with God. I'm thankful that, for instance, I, I don't. one of the stories that came out of the death of Billy Graham, um, when Billy Graham shared, it's in his autobiography as well, uh, Just As I Am, he talks about uh, ministering to Dwight Eisenhower. And Dwight Eisenhower made a profession of faith. Um, and he, I, I believe he became a Christian under the ministry and counsel of Billy Graham and others. And there are many others that came to realize that life is more than just the glory of the moment, but there's something deeper to that whole thing, and it's salvation that Christ offers in us in that. The Bible goes on to say this about glory. Mercy and truth preserve the king, and by loving kindness he upholds his throne. The glory of young men is their strength and the splendor of old men is their gray head and that's proverbs uh, 28 and 29 a uh, 28 uh, 20 verses 28 and 29 verse 30 says blows that hurt cleanse away evil as do stripes uh, the inner depths of the heart and I, I think as solomon writes those proverbs they're all in a little text there that sort of relate to one another they're short statements so each and every one of those verses can be self-contained but you know, ultimately, when when uh, Solomon gets to verse thirty, he talks about blows that hurt, cleanse away evil. Boy, that's in a practical sense. Sometimes we get beat up in this life, and we learn our lesson. Sometimes we don't. But it also reminds me this: that there was someone who went to the cross, and he was he took the blows and punishment for me. The chastisement of our peace was upon him. In other words, to make peace with God, someone had to be punished for sin. And this punishment was the requirement of death. And Jesus stepped up to the cause and said, I'll do it. He was the only one that could do it. As do stripes, the inner depths of the heart. I'm thankful that he's able to give you a pure heart today, a pure mind, because of the punishment that he endured at the cross and the salvation that he offers and the resurrected Christ who lives for us and in us. 1 Peter 1.25 says this, But the word of the Lord endures forever. Now, this is the word which, was, uh, which by the gospel was preached to you. Peter ends this chapter talking about the gospel. I have shared the gospel with you this morning. It's very simple. And actually, the Bible itself declares the gospel. And some, if you ask the average person out there, what's the gospel? Some might tell you, well, it's loving people, right? We talked about that today. Love your neighbor or, you know, be kind to others. Do unto others, you know, good things, whatever. Those are the fruits of the gospel, just so you're aware. The gospel, though, is a message and it is centered on the person of Jesus Christ and specifically centered upon the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. The hope that is found in that. Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 15, in this wonderful chapter about the resurrection, he begins the chapter with the gospel. Because, see, there's no hope in the resurrection unless you know the gospel and obey it. 
says, For I delivered to you, first of all, that which I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures. That's the word of truth. Christ died for your sins. That's as simple as it gets. He died in your place. He died for your sins. And it was according to the Scriptures. You know what? It goes on to say this in verse 4. And that He was buried... And that is true. He was buried. A sad day when Christ, the Lord Jesus Himself, taken off a cross, His body being dead, and He was placed there in a tomb, and the stone was rolled against that grave. All hope seemed to be lost. We live in a world that's lacking a lot of hope. (laughs) And yet, the grave did not hold Him. And just as the Scriptures foretold And Jesus himself foretold that he would rise again from the dead. It says that. And that he was buried and that he rose again the third day according to the scriptures. My friends, that's the gospel. That death did not hold our Lord. And death will not hold you if you'll trust him. If you'll believe in him. There's nothing more important than that. We bow in a word of prayer, and again I offer this, an invitation. If you don't know the Lord, if you've not made that transaction by faith, I'll talk with you gladly here as we get dismissed this morning. I'll pray with you. You can get a hold of me, but don't delay. Don't delay. Because I'm fading away, and so are you. Father, we thank you for the word of God. We thank you that we have it before us. We pray, O Lord that Christ might be exalted in our lives, in our thinking, in our hearts, in every action, Lord, that we have, that others, too, may see the love of Christ. Help us, Lord, give us a fervent love one to another, that, Lord, we would be a people that people, uh, other people would look at and, and say they have something different, something good, something desirable. And, Lord, that's apart from everything this world will throw at us. And so we thank you, Lord, for the person of Christ and for the gospel. In Jesus' name, amen.